Hello and welcome to the first episode of Multi Stories. I'm Tom. I'm Hannah, and today we have Rosa producing the show. Hello. Multi Stories is a brand new podcast focused on giving a platform to emerging writers, allowing them to hear their work read out loud by a group of professional actors. After that, we have a quick chat with our guest about their work, their lives as writers, and anything else that might come up. And as we're celebrating merging artists, we'd also like to share some new music with you at the end. So without further ado, let us introduce you to today's guest, the fabulous Maddie Buterman. Hello, nice to be here. <laughs> Hello. Lovely. Maddie, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um... Well, I'm up in Glasgow right now, um, but I was studying at the Bristol Lit Theatre School on their first year of their writing masters. And yeah, got through the first two terms, that was wonderful. Third term was online, which had its challenges, but also got to speak to lots of writers who were just working from home. So I just finished my first paid submission. I wrote a short film for the Bristol Lit Theatre School. They've been really supportive and now I am, well, working on my play, The Predicament of Living, which was my sort of signature script I spent the year developing. Um, I also work part-time as a veterinary receptionist, which is just the most hilarious thing. Oh. It's totally like living in a awesome. sitcom. Um, so I love that. And Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Equally Love, always says, don't quit your day job, because as soon as your creativity has to pay your rent, you're done for so still doing that um, and yeah, trying to get this ready so that then when the theatre's open, everyone is calling me, telling me desperately, need my play. <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. Amazing. Definitely. We'd love to hear a bit more about uh, your time at Bristol a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, would you be able to tell us just a little bit more about what we're going to be reading today and maybe a little synopsis without giving too much of the story away? Of course. I, I hate describing this play because only sounds interesting when you give everything away so you have to try and convince people to yeah. read it or or go and see it without um telling them all the interesting bits but um you're going to meet a young woman in her family kitchen which now seems a little bit too big just for her to be sitting in um and she speaks directly to the audience um she's not afraid of that um and she's kind of had a big moment of grief in her life which maybe is coming to define her and you know her mental health and things like that I mean I've made it sound really sad and boring but um I I think you need to find some light in there and I think that that as a character that's what she does I think mm. she's um someone once described to me the word twisty someone who's just um who's twisty who's just trying to twist the knife <laughs> and I think maybe that's what she's Ooh. doing um so yeah it's it's about her it's literally her sitting telling you her story with this kitchen around her which almost becomes a character that you get to know Brilliant. Amazing. Um, well, we all loved it and we can't wait to share it with everyone. Um, so uh, just to explain today's extract then and who's going to be reading, we've got uh, the wonderful Oriana Buckland uh, back with us again and she's reading <laughs> her. Um, Hannah is then going to be reading Alexa. Rosa is going to be reading Mum and I'll be reading Paul. Great. Mm, it's probably helpful to say that Paul is her stepfather. Definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said Definitely. that. Yeah. We did a reading and everyone was like, I don't understand why her boyfriend kept coming in and out. And I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I I did uh, think that right at the start. And then I realized later on, oh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'm sure though, if you when you see it as well, that would obviously yeah, come across yeah. with the body language and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there would be an older <laughs> person standing in front of you. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, when you're ready, Ori. Everyone knows that children's careers are made or broken at sports day. I was always part of the yellow team, which means the odds are against me. Yellow seems tepid, which I am, so choosing me to run the final leg of the relay race is ridiculous. If I hadn't been an athletic star before, I wasn't going to be one now. Yet, here I am. Team tepid are in a surprisingly strong second place. A small human is hurtling towards me with a glittery baton, it's my time. The final scene of the movie, where I defy the odds, become the hero. Suddenly the baton's in my hands. I'm panicking, panicking until I realise I need to start bloody running. And when I start, I fly. There's this energy inside me no one has ever seen before. The crowd is cheering. My legs are moving on intuition. I'm getting closer. I'm nearly there. I can taste it, feel it, smell it. I cross the line in eighth position. No one defies the odds. That day, I scanned the crowd, searching for mum, for her look of reassurance. A boy from the crowd throws a banana at me. People laugh. It's actually quite sore. Mum, where are you? Even my teacher looks angry at me now. I'm just a slow runner. Mum? Mum, I see her. She missed it. All of it. She's not even looking at me. She's talking to some man in an orange gilet. I don't have a dad, never have. I know the normal biological creation of a baby requires one, but I missed that step. Someone fucked a test tube and never turned up to sports day. She's got her head thrown back laughing. What could be that funny? I'm not sure it is the taking part that counts. Not if you haven't got any cheerleaders. Alexa, cut the bullshit. Can I help you? Alexa, enough with the childhood dreams. Dreams aren't well understood, but scientists generally believe they are essential to the brain's healing and process abilities. Right, thanks for that. That was the day you lost her. What? Did you? Alexa. Alexa, what the fuck was that? Sorry, I didn't quite get that. I heard you. You said... You said... Playing You Said You'd Grow Old With Me by Michael Schult from Amazon Music. No. You can't just play sad songs to sad people. It just makes them sadder. Play something else. Alexa. Alexa? I miss CD players. No, 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 no! I know it's early, darling, but it's a holiday. It's just meant to be some nice time together. Look, if you don't want to come, I'm not going to force you, but if you could pretend to engage in this family, it would mean something. It would mean something to me. Just get in the car. Try. I didn't know the effect it would have. I was going to pretend to be part of it, the family, it was simple. Should have taken it with two hands. Now, can't do that. Not simple now. Look, 
You wouldn't believe me if I told you the truth. Lots of people haven't. But if you really wanted to know, we need to go back. We need to go back to... Playing Christmas Cocktail Party from Amazon Music. Alexa, give me a second. It's strange celebrating Christmas without unwanted family members. First Christmas since. Feels wrong. I wanted a kitchen full of people arguing about how to cut the carrots. Paul and me, we had one of those terribly lonely microwavable Christmas meals. Everything you need in one plastic dish. Potatoes were soggy. We were pretending it wasn't weird that we weren't talking, but it was. Even for us. Sitting side by side on the sofa, plastic dishes on our laps. I just found it weird that he bought her a gift and that we both had to sit staring at it, knowing she wouldn't open it. I told him that. I said, who buys a present for someone who isn't there? He said, she's not really gone. She is. It's always hard getting Christmas cake off a serrated edge, especially mum's recipe. I knew I'd reacted badly, the present thing. I was standing, hands in soapy water, feeling guilty about it. Not a small pang of guilt, but bricks of it hitting me. I didn't have to be so hard on him, or maybe I did. I looked at the mess of cake and bubbles, and suddenly, from absolutely nowhere, I saw an image of myself stabbing him. I remember literally shaking my head to get it out, away from my conscience. Why would I think that? See that? Do I want to stab Paul? I tried to think about something else, anything else. Told myself that it didn't mean anything. I could hear him next door watching football's funniest fucking moments. And I'm holding this knife and I'm suddenly terrified. What if I run through and plunge this into his chest? I can see it so vividly. What's stopping me from doing it? I could do it. I could hurt him. You want to stab him. What? Playing Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie Ellis Baxter from Amazon Music. Alexa, stop it. It's not funny. Stop it. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop! I hate Christmas. Are you okay? I thought you were at the hospital. I'm just going now. It's broken. It keeps talking back to me. Isn't that what it's supposed to do? I'll be back. Later. By January, it is fucking awful, which is expected because January is fucking awful. I can't be in a room with Paul and knives. I don't trust myself. The thoughts keep coming. I don't know my own mind, my own body. What if I go into some sort of state? What if I'm one of the people on the television that kills all their family? Though I don't have much family left to kill. Alexa? Can you kill someone accidentally? How can I stab, help you? I am not saying I want to do it, would do it. I'm just scared of the possibility. Alexa, can you go into a trance and kill somebody? Alexa, what happens if I kill him? Why do people kill? Psychopaths are people who regularly think about inflicting violence on others. They can appear normal, but kill in states of rage. 
At first, he looks for them, even buys more. On one occasion, he comes back from the shops with a treat. A brand new six-piece set of multicoloured knives. How do I tell him? Honestly, how do I tell him that I'm now considering killing him in different colours? There's serrated edges, smooth edges, huge ones, tiny little ones. I see an image of myself stabbing him in the stomach with the little purple one. I don't know what fucking happened to me. I'm lying in bed at night asking myself if I'm a psychopath. And it's getting worse. It's not just him now. The old lady down the corner shop. I had a good old think about her death and the postman. I'm not saying I want to stab them, just that I can't stop thinking about stabbing them. Is that the same thing? February being the shortest month of the year makes little difference. Someone once said that February feels like one long Tuesday. I think they're right. It's not Monday, but it's certainly nowhere near the weekend. I take work on any stupid show where I can get a shift. Well, front of house. They've brought out new ice cream flavours for the interval. Big tubs of sea salted caramel and little tubs of rhubarb and ginger prosecco sorbet. I hate theatre people. A little old lady comes up to me asking for her classic vanilla with one pound in her hand. One pound. I am crushed. I can't tell her about inflation, injustice, the death of art and ice cream. I take the hit, add in the other four pounds myself. I don't speak to people at work anymore. Colder than the ice cream I can't afford. Too many thoughts to deal with. Pretend I don't hear the invites to drinks after work. What would happen if I had alcohol? Would I lose control? Would I kill him when I got home? The more I try to push Paul away, the closer he comes. He's got sadness in his eyes. It's like he knows. I mean, he's barely home, but when he is, well, when he's home, all he's doing is pushing extravagant tea flavours. It sort of breaks my heart when he thinks he can solve all this with... I got this um, womankind tea from the shop. Womankind? Vanilla flower and raspberry. Perfect for women. The tea is exclusively perfect for women. Stupid. I've got the receipt. I'll take it back. Your auntie Margaret was... Yeah, Louise is pregnant, I heard. Father seems nice. You've met him? Only at the... Oh. I didn't realise he was there. Not your fault? No, it's not. None of it is my fault. Right. Yeah. I'm going to take this back. Alexa, play a song I'll like. Here's a station you might like. Classic love songs. That's one way to make someone feel alone. Are you alone? You're more intrusive than they let on in the advert. Are you going to kill him? What? No! Well, I don't think so. What are you going to do? I think I'll make macaroni cheese. Because that's the closest thing I can get to a warm hug. Isn't that tragic? I don't like horror films. I think they try too hard to be scary. The truly scary things in our lives are normal and right in front of us. Like the fact we have to live our entire lives trapped in a brain we didn't choose. It's March now, which is dull. What even happens in March? 
What is the weather like in March? How is March even different to February? Well, I gain a paralysing fear of forks and the Irish get St Patrick's Day. Alexa, stop the music. Any Irish in tonight? It's a lot more fun when someone calls back, but never mind. I understand that you came here to silently stare at me and that anything other than that terrifies you. I'll tell you what terrifies me. Forks. Or really anything sharp enough to cause damage. Before you ask, everybody knows a spork is more a fork than a spoon. So yes, they're not safe. You could stab someone to death with a spork. If you really wanted to. Or a pencil. Or a pen. Mm, probably not a crayon. Crayons are safe. What a life, eh? Spoiled with my crayons and spoons, lucky girl. You could kill someone with rope. Not that I have much of that lying around the house anyway. Poison? I don't have any of that, but that's the latest worry. That's what makes March different to February. I'm constantly checking for poison. You know when you turn something off? Your oven, iron, hair straighteners, and then just after you've left the house, you think, did I really turn that off? Did I imagine I turned it off? Should I go back and check? I'll be late if I go back and check. No, I should check. No, I know I turned it off. No, maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm just remembering when I did it yesterday or last week. So you go back and check and it was turned off. You knew you turned it off, but you feel better leaving the house the second time knowing that you checked that everything was in order. Well, I feel that way about poison. I know I haven't put poison in this macaroni. Well, I don't think I remember putting any in. It was just three types of cheese. Mum says people who are lazy do one cheese. People who are trying do two, but people who care add three. And people with a weight problem add four. No, she never said that, but it's true. Four is too much. You watch me make this. There's no poison in it. So why? When he comes in and asks for some dinner, am I terrified I'm going to kill him? Where are all the forks? You can't, you can't eat that. Not without a fork, I can't. Wouldn't kill you to eat with a spoon. No, you can't. Why? You put poison in that pasta. What's wrong with it? When you blinked, you dropped poison in. I didn't. Can you be sure that you didn't? What's going on? I don't think I did. You could crack his head off that counter. No! You're being ridiculous. There's poison in it. It's not safe. It's fine, look. Now he knows there's something wrong with you. It doesn't matter how fucked up you are. You still have to go to work. Love it, Maddie. Oh, fine. Really, really wonderful. I wish we could tell everyone the amazing journey it goes on, but... And also, <laughs> for people listening who can't see, it is written... The way it's written and laid out, uh, on the paper is so nice and clear for the actors. I think it yeah. tells the actors so much about kind of how it should be delivered and what the character is going through. Yeah, it's really like actor's gift kind of writing. So that's yeah. cool. Thank you. I realised yeah, after... sharing No, thank you for reading it. Um, I realised after I was like, oh, the stage and directions aren't important. And I was like, oh... Probably should have said something about that. <laughs> I, I do think when you add stage directions, it's really difficult for you guys then to like get into that rhythm. And I think that's yeah. what, what works rather than being like, she runs across the room and then everyone is like, oh, wow. 
now I realize we're just in a reading and not in the world anymore. So yeah, although I yeah. was thinking throughout it, if if we want to in the post edit, we can add in some stage directions if there are some particular ones that are quite important because there were maybe a couple that it would be helpful to have them. But um, how was that? How was that for you, Maddie? Hearing it aloud? Have you you've heard this piece out loud once before? Have you? Yeah. Yes, I work. I've kind of worked on different sections of it with we did some R&Ds that was what was good about being at Bristol Vic is when I was working on this um they would say okay here's this great actor you can have two hours with them and the director and like looking at the sections so but I've kind of done bits and bobs and I've done sort of start mm-hmm. part of this section um but not sort of onto the I've never heard the macaroni bit out loud which is nice and that was Ooh. that was quite a late addition that um wasn't in sort of the first draft so that was really nice to hear and I think it's really nice to hear the way that everybody reads her because I think I've worked on maybe like you're the third person to have read that part Orion and it's just nice the way that people pick up differently and I think that's what you need in a monologue because and what you should really have in all plays otherwise what's the point in another actor picking it up because somebody's already done it so you need to be able to sort of put your own spin on it um Mm. which is really nice but yeah as I was saying to you guys it kind of has sat in a box um for a while because and I think plays need that sometimes you need to step away and not look at it and then I go Mm. back and it's funny I think I've totally slimmed down the dialogue and I'm like god who's going on of it isn't she like she could get that finished quicker like we could cut that down a little bit um so it's always good to hear it out loud and much better than when it's just me reading it out loud to myself which I do on a regular basis to the point where one time <laughs> when I was back at home during the first lockdown, my stepdad knocked on my door and said, are you all right? <laughs> I was going to ask this. I was going to say, when you're writing your pieces, do you, uh, do you say them out loud? I do. Or do you get like friends and family to read bits? I always get my sister to read my plays. I hope she, well, she will listen to this, but I shouldn't say, but it's like, it's like, Reading for dummies, that's terrible. She's going to be so annoyed. But it's like getting someone who's not in the theatre to read it. Yeah. And then she goes, well, I didn't understand that. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's why great. Yeah. Um, yeah, good idea. So she always does read it. But then sometimes her notes are like, don't understand this. And I'm like, oh, that's the weird thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, I love working with actors and when you guys were saying you know we're focusing on new writers and new pieces I was like yes I was like this is brilliant um because it's so nice to I think all new writing needs to be in the room especially yeah I play Mm. like this as well there's when she's moving around the kitchen it's nice to just put an actor in that space and say what would you do and actor I hate when people criticize actors because actors are make everything better and you can't do anything without them so stop being rude um I think they always come up with new ideas (laughs) that you don't think about and they also say I totally understand what you're doing here and you think ah yes yes and I'm like quickly writing it down in my notebook that was totally what I was doing yeah that totally makes sense (laughs) um so they're always giving you credit for things so yeah it was really really nice to hear out loud that's that's so interesting to hear that like each new person that kind of reads it for you or or you you learn something new about the character and you kind of you can always kind of use that in a future edit or moving forward with the piece or something yeah which is great. totally we did an early r&d where an actor literally intimidated me with my own character we did the, the opening of the play in which she is which is maybe a bit of a spoiler but oh well 
uh, she is pretending to be a front house usher and you think she's an usher and then she gets up on stage and tells you to turn your phone off and at this point you're thinking this usher is really stepping over the boundary here <laughs> and yeah, then so- she starts the show and I think you're completely in her pan by then she's only talked to you for two minutes and you're like damn it she's got me but um an actor called Chanel Waddix did it at Bristol and she came in she was like literally just like shouting at me as as like the sole audience member and I was like oh my god I was like wow I was like you're mental yeah Yeah. I I absolutely love the start I I love it and I could just picture it happening and if I wasn't expecting it as an audience member I know I would be the one like just going lower and lower down in my seat feeling really embarrassed like who is this person they need to fire her yeah I know I'm so judgmental when I go to the theatre as well I'm like oh that person's eating sweets in front of me being loud like I would definitely be like that's ridiculous like that usher obviously doesn't want etiquette like you can't get up on stage and then you're totally caught out so yeah it's fun that's funny how was your time at Bristol? I know we talked a little bit about it. Um, yeah, what what was it like studying writing at the school? And yeah, it was it was great. I think previously I'd been writing for student theatre, and I think there's some people doing student theatre, and Glasgow's a really great student theatre society. But there's some people doing it because they want to go on and, and be an actor, and there's other people doing it because it's fun and it's a way to make friends. And when you're writing for that level, you're writing for then kind of two different briefs. Um, but I knew I could never write certain things because there wasn't money for that set or there wasn't an actor that could do that accent or do that part and um, I got to Bristol and it was like yeah do whatever you want and I was like anything yeah do whatever you want and it was great my tutors Stephanie Dale and David Edgar really pushed like this is the time to write whatever you want to do and I nearly wrote another play because I thought this is I have no idea how I'm going to do this it's just so big um, but what Bristol does really well, which I don't think any other writing course in the UK does, is it really works with actors. It doesn't say, oh, we're going to work with actors. It actually does it. And that's the experience that you need just being in what is a professional rehearsal room going, right, OK. And I suppose they have all their technical students as well. And yeah it really opens up the horizons for what you should be writing and it makes you push I went to a meeting where I don't even think I was meant to be there I was like literally starstruck at drugs because I was like oh my god like I thought I was loud and I'm like the quietest person here um and I went <laughs> along to some meetings to, like try and get involved with things and originally I was thinking about setting the play in a bedroom in her bedroom and the, one of the acting tutors was talking about how he was directing the next production for the graduating actors and he said and I've chosen the staging because it'll be like a really a real challenge for the technical students and the stage managers and I mean up to this point I'd been working in a scenario where if you made your set difficult it shouldn't be and say you can't do that like oh we're not going to fix you because I actually submitted a very short version very different version of this play to Stag and the feedback was you know smashing mugs would be quite difficult to do you know, in a theatre. That's a stage manager's <laughs> nightmare. And I thought, smashing. And then I got to Bristol and he was like, I'm trying to make this so difficult. So the stage manager, like, has this mountain to climb and it's an enjoyable process. Mm. And that's when I, sometimes I sat in that meeting and I don't really know why I was there, but I thought, it's got to be in a kitchen. You do it in a kitchen, there's so much more. And I hadn't previously thought that because I thought, you can't set up a full kitchen. Like, no one will have money to do that. But it, it kind of opens your eyes to being more professional. And I mean, this could come back to bite me, but having budgets to use. <laughs> um, so yeah, it made me kind of shoot a bit higher. But I mean, 
I am not exaggerating when I say I was winging it before Bristol. I mean, I was literally like, oh, this is, isn't everyone. This is kind of a good idea. I'll write it. And yeah, I, I had no understanding of structure. I was terrified of structure. Uh, when you're saying, oh, this the structure is so nice, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I, I would have, when people talked about structure and playwriting, I thought, who's that? Start, middle, end? Like, I don't know what you're saying. And <laughs> I think I got to Bristol and they were like, you know, this, this is how you do it. And taught me so many techniques that are just all here, basically, in this wee play. So, yeah, it was the best time. I think going from what you said about... Uh where you set it whether it's in a bedroom or a kitchen or something and I, I can't remember who said it I think it was a writer said once about when they're writing their plays they just like will write whatever crazy thing literally they won't limit themselves they'll just write anything um and then I guess it's down to the director to try and figure it out yeah and yeah and if they can't afford to do a full-on kitchen then they would have to find a way around that but I think rather than the writer limiting themselves it's down to the, the creative team to decide how they're going to put that on. Yeah. yeah, make it happen. Totally, yeah. You feel like you can hand over it and you're also handing over to a really talented director who is training or has trained, who is saying, right, these are the techniques I'm going to use as opposed to like me directing my own work. Like, let's just make sure everyone can hear us and we turn over the right shoulder when we're doing the slide <laughs> and then we'll be fine. Um, and I worked with a director at Bristol <laughs> Um, Lucy Hayes who again is has the same energy as you guys who's really excited about new writing and generally is like right what's the story you're trying to tell and she, you feel like she's really on your side so much so you don't mind when she challenges you I go like she's asking me questions I definitely don't have the answers to which is the best questions to ask and I think mm. yeah great and I you're so right I thought I don't care if it's a nightmare to do in a kitchen I'm doing it yeah you can sort it out that's your job <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um so not just with this play but w with all the plays you write in general do you how do you start like do you start with a plot or a setting or a character um or with a sort of a message that that you want people to leave the theater with yeah I think I'm big on how you what you leave the theatre with um mm -hmm. but I think if you start with a desire to create a message you get yourself in trouble because you have no believable character mm. um this play started ages ago I walk everywhere I mean I had an, a hospital appointment like three weeks ago and I looked it up on Google Maps and said oh it's only an hour and a half walk and my family said you're going to walk three hours in a day and I was like yeah like that's my office I put my headphones in and start walking like I do a lot of thinking and I think for me a bit bizarre as a writer I suppose we're supposed to love words and I do love words but I love writing plays with like moments that don't have any words in them which I think is difficult to do because you have to write that in stage directions and that's boring um so it's much better when you've got actors in the room that you can play around with so yeah I think for me it comes from a moment that you'll remember like you you'll remember what that theater looks like and feels like more than you'll remember the line the actor said so I think I've always mm. thought of things and what do you remember when you leave and what what's the impact but I mean this play especially was like I'm walking down the street one day and I'm like oh, those two plays are one play <laughs> which I think all good plays are two ideas that come together that make it just a little bit more complex than the original idea was in your head um so yeah 
I like working with images. I worked with um, Caroline Forston did a workshop for us and she's big on sort of like feminism and mental health. And she said she works with her director and they lay out all the ideas that she has all over the floor and she picks them up and she asks them and he says like, no, not that one. She says, yeah, let's do this one. Um, so I started drawing everything out because I was frustrated writing things. I was like, but they don't see the writing. They, they see the stage. So that's Stephanie Dale, bless her. I would walk in for my meetings about this play with her and say, right, you ready? And I'd get out my little post-it notes with pictures on them. And I am not good at drawing. I'm drawing like, <laughs> at one, I was, she's like, what, what's that? I'm, oh, well, that is obviously her doing this. And she's like, right, yeah, cool. But I think I managed to bring her around to it. And, and yeah, and she loved it. So it's visual moments that start it for me. And then maybe different plot lines coming together. And when I'm writing a play, I go and see so much other work which is difficult, obviously, for anyone to do right now. And yeah. I read those, so I read loads of other monologues and was like, you know, it's figuring out bits to go, I, like, that works for me, that structure feels like it fulfills itself, or, oh, that didn't work for me, why does it not making sure, you know, just learning from other mm. people and what they're doing. I would say, yeah, I guess, especially with monologues, the structure is probably even more important yeah. than, than usual because, you know, it's just one actor. <laughs> And they've got to find all these different moments. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You have nothing helpful. to hide behind. Apart yeah. from if you build yeah. yourself a nice big set. And then you're like, oh, we'll just and hide behind that. And then you can go hide in the cupboard, yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you've had, I'm, I think I'm right here saying that you've had a couple of your plays on uh, in Edinburgh at the Fringe. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about kind of what that experience is like? Um, yeah. Being a writer. Yeah, as a writer. I mean, I first went to the Fringe with our dear boy, Tom. Um, <laughs> I know. In a very funny play. Very, uh... very funny play. I think I learned so much from that experience. I mean, I knew nothing. And our dear friend, Ryan Rutherford, took me on as his assistant director just because I think he thought I would be annoying, but I would be supportive. So I came and along to keep the him right. in line. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we went and you watched the same show what the the runs we were doing like 16 shows or something yeah and you would never in your life apart from Amber Finch will sit within a meter of your audience every night you won't you won't do it again especially as a writer so at that point I was directing with Ryan and it was so funny to see you're never that close again to the actors as well I was seeing you guys every day doing your show and sometimes you would come off and say oh that was you know that was really bad such a bad show and other nights you're crossing, that was brilliant. And it was all dependent <laughs> on the audience. It was just whether yeah. they laughed at you. And I'd be thinking in my head, not saying this to you, well, you got wrong exit, you got your costume wrong and the prop broke. So that wasn't a good show. It's just the audience liked you and you were wanting people to laugh at you. And I think after <laughs> that yes, experience, it made me really think about like fulfilling what an actor does on stage, that if they weren't laughing at you, when you were still being funny or if they were just giving smiles rather than full belly laughs, you felt you weren't performing to like the full extent. So I think at that point I thought, I love comedy. I want that again, but there's, there's gotta be something else because you've got to be able to know you're doing a good job without just people, you know, having laughs. That's why mm. I, I hate one man to be governors by Richard Green. I don't want to see it ever again. I, yeah, it's funny. And then what is it? <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah, um, yeah. But, 
yeah I learned that at the fringe and then the year after I totally learned the format and wrote a play I knew would work for it I just cheated didn't I I was like all right four o'clock off the mile eight pound ticket I know what people want um but then you had to go out on the mile and you had to sell it to people and I would stand there and I would say Mm. really funny you know and it's just dramatic and all of this and just just go down here and then the worst thing that could happen is you'd be standing outside the venue and you'd see them come down to buy a ticket and you'd think crap now I've got to you know fulfill all the things I told you this would be um so I think it teaches you not to pitch yourself too high you know set yourself some names and then you know achieve them um but yeah I think Edinburgh I think at that point, I thought you could go to Edinburgh and, you know, I mean, the the second play that I went with was my own play. That was the first full-length play I'd written. And I just thought, like, this is the best show that's ever been made. I thought, this is fantastic. And I actually <laughs> watched back the first, like, four minutes of it. There's a deep in the depths of YouTube, you, there is a clip of it. And I can see Tom in the audience, actually. And, uh, and I couldn't, I had to turn it off. I was like, I hate this. It's terrible. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. I know. It is. It's not terrible. I think I've just come now to understand different things that should have been happening. Mm. But yeah. that was a really good year for confidence. We we sold out the whole run. So I was like, okay, wow. people are in. Like, That's this is amazing. good. Just needs, like, how do I work on this? Mm. And then I went uh, a third year. I chose not to direct. And I wrote a play. Um which again is like I wrote it and it's a road trip through Scotland and I think I've just been watching like Local Hero and I've been like yeah like let's go through Scotland and actually in my Bristol interview they were like so you keep writing plays in cars like that's really difficult to do and I was like oh <laughs> yeah that's true and um, that's one of those like oh the director can deal with it situation um, <laughs> um, but yeah I I did enjoy doing that again but I think I got to the end of like those years taking stuff to the fringe going I need I need to know playwriting more because I'm winging it because I think I know story and I know audience interaction I think that's what the fringe teaches you you understand audiences because you spend time with them and I think a lot of writers don't don't do that outside of that environment it's come in come to rehearsals you know come for previews and then go on to your next project you don't get to spend time seeing how audiences work so yeah I mean I, I absolutely love Edinburgh but I didn't get famous from it which I totally thought I was going to so Damn. very upset yeah um <laughs> yeah Fleabag didn't just go to Edinburgh and become famous I am crushing this myth honestly I hate it they already had a um, it's so true yep they had a run booked at Soho for after Fringe and they had this like amazing London theatre company that was thriving but um yeah whatever it's fine we're not all for you all a ridge but, um, <laughs> no, yeah. but 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 make this show a success yes someone uh-huh. listening please <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you said about the the play you wrote set in the car mm-hmm. when you write ones like that like that to me feel sounds quite cinematic do you ever write things thinking actually this should be a screenplay or is it all for theater that's yeah that's interesting yeah that should have been a film well picked up on <laughs> Um, (laughs) yes I think I I was looking at writing and studying writing and I my mum is so annoying she always quotes things back that I've said to me and I said when I was going to Bristol I mean they're they're doing radio and film and tv but I am just going to write theatre I I just want to write theatre and I've just written a short film like I I think 
what like learning to write in all the different mediums is really good it keeps it alive a bit more because you're, it's just different things to do as a writer and I think yeah I was sneakily in my head thinking I would love to do film alongside doing theatre but I still think my love is theatre mm, it is yeah. it's hard to be as excited um yeah about about stuff on screen but I we did a radio we did radio plays at Ulvik and I loved it I just radio is so fun like I was coming in and like doing sound effects for actors and like everyone is just really chilled out when you're doing radio um so yeah I think I would like to write in different mediums although theatre is always home <laughs> yes yeah do you so feel with this- you Oh, sorry. No, go. I have, sorry, you have go. A question. <laughs> do you feel do you have like a different approach for depending on the medium that you're writing for? Mm. Yeah, because I think with me for for theatre, it's all the theatrical elements you have in that space. And I suppose film has all the elements as well. But with theatre, you're saying like how are the lights working, how's the sound working, how are the audience laid out, um, mm. you know, different things like that 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 film also is a lot closer up but you can also change location a lot easier which is the excitement of of screen whereas in theatre you need to come up with a good location because you are stuck there um I mean you could do some changes but it's not as believable so I think I do approach it differently definitely yeah did you always intend this to be a a one-woman show um yeah I think so. I th- well, it's it's not. It's, I told you. I said, "Oh, I'm working on this one woman show," and then I'm like, "And here are all the characters." Like it, it's not. It's not a one woman show. It's, it's terrible to call it a one woman show, but it is. Um, yeah, I think I knew. I I know that there's not as much money as we would like. So in the theatre for funding, and I think it's it would be great, and I would love to write a massive, huge scale production. But I think when you look at what we have capacity to do right now, it is you know smaller things when we were I was finishing my master's in COVID I was speaking to people in the industry and they were saying you've got to make something that has a sort of a commentary on what's happened but you've got to make people laugh because we're really going to need a laugh um and I think it does that and I think yeah I can't see it being anyone else but her but I also have another idea that I started thinking I could do that but it's a one woman show and I can't write it because I keep writing it in her voice and I'm like no stop it like I I don't think I'm I'm so tied in and tuned into that character's voice which I think you totally have to be that I'm like no it's the next thing has to be something something different but yeah no sequel planned then well (laughs) I don't know I'll tell you the film rights maybe and we'll see how we get on (laughs) (laughs) but if you didn't have a budget you had Mm. all the money in the world would you make this bigger in any way because when I read it I imagined it in quite a an intimate sort of black box theatre yeah but but if if yeah if if like some big shot producer was like let's put this on Mm -hmm. uh would you change any of it I really want to put a washing machine in it which I actually have taken (laughs) out but I I really want um because that also has this there's a lot of playing with time and I think washing machines are funny. You put them on and then we all know that the cycle lasts so long. And then we all know at the end of the cycle that it spins. So it's like, yeah. can it spin at a certain point that is important wow. to where we are mm. with the story? Um, 
yeah, I, I'm i like, can we get all the kitchen appliances, <laughs> basically? Just put them all down on your arts Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this plate must have a washing machine it is integral to the story um no i think yeah i think i would go all out there oh i don't know if it's too much of a spoiler someone someone does come on stage with her who, who is not paul that we've met um later in the play and i was talking to a director about it and she said like is that economically viable to have an actor on just you know just for that moment and I nearly I nearly cut it because I thought maybe it's not and then I thought no I'm going to stick with it because it's important yeah. and I think yeah I want it to keep it um so yeah maybe yeah god that's terrible all I want is a washing machine um oh, I love that but uh <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cool to to do a really really nice set um yeah, that mm. kitchen island. So, do you do you have any plans for this show, or or any plans at all, <laughs> at all. in general <laughs> for your future? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think this place still needs some work. I would love just to get in a room with actors and a director and a designer because I think you know we're talking about that set, and if that set is a character, then that designer needs to be in there. And designers are great as well. They can go, oh, but why don't you do this? And think, oh, that's opened up this whole different side to the story. So it would be great to do that and fine-tune the details. I think Paul's character probably needs a bit of work. We've talked about structuring the start differently, but these are all things that I can sit in my room and write and rewrite and rewrite and, like, you know, edit myself out of a good story. Um, and I think you need to, if you're in the room with the actors, they then you get a real feel and a sense of that. And it'd be nice to sort of show that to an audience and, and see how that's received, go back to the drawing board. Um, but yeah, I think there are quite a lot of spaces now. Theatres are really interested in new writing, so they're having these studio spaces that, like, I would probably picture it there, that you, you've maybe got 100 audience you can squeeze in and, like, having that intimate space. But... Um, yeah, I mean that would be really nice if anyone wants to um, sign me. If I would, I would love mm-hmm. an agent. On you go. Uh, make my play. <laughs> make me famous. <laughs> Let me write on Killing Eve. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm getting really annoyed at Killing Eve. If this plans, next yeah. series isn't, you know, properly done, then I'm going to have to get involved. But um, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's yeah. the plan. And then, you know? and then you'll just have to cast all of us as well. Oh God, look well, at us all. What a shame. Suddenly we're all famous. <laughs> 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 oh great thank you so much maddie no thank you guys it's been so yeah nice thank you wow yeah thank you so yeah, it's much it's been absolutely brilliant thank yeah, you very inspiring thank you so much not at all thank you guys oh shall we record the last day's direction oh yes let's oh, do that yes. as well well remembered we suggested it we forgot <laughs> it'd be like record <laughs> more me more me <laughs> shall we did you want to do it already i'm very happy to do it because i absolutely loved it i think they're really interesting and different i think it'd be really nice for absolutely. people to hear without without giving too much about uh, the play away yes okay so lots of amazing stuff has happened and now she ducks once more under a doorway and bows for the final time the lights will then probably turn off but that doesn't mean it has to end let the audience take the story outside with them serve cups of tea play the final song in the foyer let them kick autumn leaves Let them believe, just for a moment, that they can take this world into real life. Yay!
Oh, and then we all love it. (laughs) It's just so different to what I usually read at the end of the Mm. script. What what, what were your thoughts and feelings behind that? I I think I feel the same as you, Hannah, that you finish, you're getting to the end of the script and it just says end. Mm. That's not what happens. And I think Mm. because we find ourselves in a theatre and the character we're interacting with is very constantly reminding us that we're in the theatre, it seems mad to just let that go and I, I hate when you've had a really like lovely experience in the theatre and they really quickly turn the lights up and get you out I'm like whoa I, I'm still processing this and I ought like always go and sit in the theatre bar and normally write or about how I felt about it or sit for a while and watch other people and hear their reactions and I think people do that anyway so make something of it that's all part of the experience of going to the theatre and take like take control of it and, and get people as they're walking out to think about it my my worst nightmare is that people go yeah that was all right when you get in the bus and you think oh god they didn't yeah Mm. nothing went in and so give them a reason as they come out into the theater bar to keep talking about it um yeah Mm. that's the idea I love that like encourage people to really absorb it and Mm. yeah be affected by it even down to the bows I mean we didn't hear it then but the the character comments on different kinds of bows that you see oh yeah shows (laughs) and it's so true and I love it that commenting on theater while you're watching a show I think it's really interesting I suppose the other thing is it is a play that delves into this discussion about mental health and she ends up talking Mm. to us because she has no one else to talk to so it's trying to hint towards right go out and talk to each other then you can't just go and be like oh what a shame shouldn't have anyone to talk to I'm going home to cry in my bed like no go and have a cup Mm. of tea and chat to each other Mm. yeah that's really lovely great thank you thank you you. (laughs) also love the relationship with the therapist just quickly love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I also love we don't have to make me laugh as well but I really really love the you know when they make the comment about uh she's like Meg she's just a typical Meg and these are her shoes that she wears and then later <laughs> on it says that she's wearing those shoes and I was like that is a lovely little touch yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I love Meg yeah <laughs> <laughs> a huge thank you to Maddie for letting us share her work with you all and also to Joe Swift from Run Away From Him Forever whose music we're going to listen to in a second if you've enjoyed what you've heard please do check them out uh, at Maddie Beautyman and at Run Away From Him Forever. Feel free to give our own social media channels a follow if you want to keep up to date with more multi story productions. We are at multi story prod on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, if you're sitting listening at home thinking, hey, I'd love to hear my own writing or music on the show, then please feel free to get in touch at submissions at multistoryproductions.co.uk. We're going to play you out now with Run Away From Him Forever's song. November. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. 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 <laughs> Can't wait. Miss you so much. <laughs>
Yeah. 